0: Welcome to It's Sedimentary, my dear, a conversational podcast about all things geology. I'm your host, Ellen. And I'm Jane. Jane, what are we talking about today? Well... Last week we
1: talked about space, right? We had a whole intro spiel. We, did. <laughs> we had a pre-prepared <laughs> joke, and then this week, at the very at the very end of that pre- previous podcast, we ended up talking about the formation of Earth and yes. uh how Earth how Earth came to be here today. And today we're going to talk about geomorphology, which, in the shortest possible definition, would be the study of landforms on Earth and other planets. But and to other get planets, in, yeah, other planets too. <laughs> But makes sense. to talk about that, first, we're going to have to talk about the egg. What, is,
0: what does that have to do with Earth?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked the thing I wrote into our notes, Ellen, because <laughs> first of all, the Earth like has... I added to my line, though. I didn't read what you wrote. <laughs> well, Ellen, the Earth has layers, which is like an ogre. An oh. ogre has layers. And parfaits and parfaits everybody loves layers. Yeah. Anyway, that's a Shrek reference for all of you people out there who have never seen Shrek and I'm I'm sorry that <laughs> I have and you? you haven't. <laughs> I guess I should be more sorry that that I have seen it than that you have not seen it, but that's okay. <laughs> but anyway, so the point is earth has layers and the chemical composition of the earth is kind of similar to how uh you can imagine a hard-boiled egg would be. So we have at the very outer like sulfury <laughs> no <laughs> i mean you, this is a metaphor this is not okay. a thing. <laughs> this is a metaphor so the earth has a hard outer shell which, aka the crust it's mostly made okay. of igneous rocks which we talked about in our first podcast so the ones from volcanoes correct the ones from sorry from magma or lava from yes from volcanic mainly from volcanic activity but other things too there are two major types of igneous rocks that are found at the crust and they're uh, granitic or basaltic. So, basaltic is a denser type of rock. Um, it's made, they're really rich in magnesium, iron, and calcium. Hmm. And they actually end up being very dark in color. And another word we use for this type of crust is mafic, some mafic crust.
0: Mafic sounds like something you would use to describe like a fairy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like, well, I mean, I feel like it probably has, it's related probably to the dark color in nature but i didn't Mm -hmm. look up the meaning of mafic it probably is something latin for like evil but because of science but um (laughs) but i don't know you know the darkness settling in in your soul or something like that and then the other type of rock that we have is granitic granitic is a less dense type of rock it's made mainly of felsic material so we have mafic and we have felsic felsic means that the rocks are rich in silicon in oxygen aluminum sodium potassium all of these in are much oxygen, lighter elements like in not in like free oxygen but yeah, like, yeah okay you know, i understand like... now <laughs> that's what i was yes. <laughs> imagining for a second i was like it's just
0: like trapped in there oxygen no, attached no, to other
1: things <laughs> but yeah no i mean i can understand why that yes kind of it's bizarre. in the chemical composition i understand what you're saying no? yes so these these minerals are not only are they lighter they're less dense they make the rocks less dense they also are lighter in color so they're usually um like whites and pinks and stuff like that
0: do you want me to tell you what the etymology for mafic is? Yes. This random site from University of Oregon, Oregon says that the term is derived from using the MA from magnesium
1: oh. and FIC
0: from the Latin word for iron.
1: Oh. I feel like I knew that at some point in my life. Do you want me to look up felsic? Yes. I want you to absolutely look up felsic. I'm glad that you asked as I was going to ask you to look it up.
0: <laughs> the origin of felsic, the etymology for felsic is from feldspar and silica. Okay. Well, that's good, because
1: there's lots of feldspar. Uh, Geology <laughs> is not, a lot of times when it comes up with its names, they're pretty straightforward. There's um, no reason to be flowery, we're talking about. like the two, the two main minerals that you find in felsic rocks are feldspar and quartz. So yeah. I'm not terribly shocked but that's what, it, that's what they're named after. But, but Ellen. Yes, that's me. I have a question for you okay what do you think the most common felsic rock is quartz rock not mineral
0: uh rock so something made of felsfar and silica or whatever
1: and quartz and stuff like that i'll give you a hint it's Uh, used in countertops
0: using countertops
1: yeah uh if you have the money for it and it's another name i used when i was talking about the types of crust that we have
0: the type of crust?
1: Yeah, I was talking about two different types of crusts. Not quartz. You may not have heard me because so I was talking about quartz? um
0: Wait, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guessed I said it already.
1: That's a mineral. A rock. A rock. Marble? No. Uh, Marble okay. is calcium. Countertop. Calcium carbonate. Granite. Granite. Yes. Granite. It's granite. Okay. Granitic is another term that they use it. <laughs> for um our the, I those. I was like, like I know, I know this. It's
0: like in the back of my head, you know. So
1: the two types of crust I had mentioned were granitic and basaltic. So, what okay. do you think is a major or common mafic rock? Basalt? yeah. <laughs> basalt is an igneous. Oh, okay. rock. Okay, <laughs> you I may not you know it. it's a it's a, mafic, it's a mafic it's a mafic igneous. I knew rock. That no, it was none of this an is scary. Rock. This is not scary. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's what they're mainly made of. Is they're made of these two different types of rock. Um, when I
0: think of basalt, I think of that thing the uh, that thing that um the big basalt formation in like Iceland that's very famous. Yes, where it's like this like columnar basalt jointing
1: yeah it's really cool or yeah. um there's one of those it's called giant's causeway yeah that team um, same thing or similar believe, like shape i believe that's ireland, ireland? is giant's yeah, causeway so. yeah
0: you can google um, those if you want to see what basalt looks like in the wild i guess because they're big basalt formations
1: right also yeah also devil's tower is has columnar jointing like that which is from basalt but yeah it's cool it's just like a dark blobby it's
0: kind of like gray and like
1: chonky yeah it gets gray it gets gray when it oxidizes but mainly it's like it's actually like the unweathered surface is just like black black super oh interesting well i mean i
0: got i guess a lot of igneous rocks are kind of
1: dark like that yeah it just depends on if they what composition they have they could be Mm -hmm. more felsic or they could be more mafic depending um and we define we give them different names depending on which ones they end up having what what chemical composition they have more of versus the other so okay so those those are those those type of rocks and then we get in and that's that's on the crust okay so next we okay. have the mantle, which in our egg analogy <laughs> is the white part of De-doo. the egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's the biggest, it's essentially the biggest part of the egg, the, you know, the contain, yeah. the containing part of the egg. And most of the rocks in here are, they're not mafic, they're ultra mafic. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We, can we make that a band name too? <laughs> we can have that as a band name. I'm down with that. So basically, <laughs> ultra ultramafic ultra rocks are just the more extreme version of mafic rocks. So they have <laughs> lower silica, they have higher iron oxide content, and they have lower potassium content and even more magnesium oxide content.
0: So like, is it like going to be look different or like, the, I'm asking you kind of like an obvious question, but like, how would you kind of describe at a high level a difference between like surface rock and mantle rock it really, other than what you just said it like, really comes
1: down to chemical composition um okay the look of the rocks is like you can still have black rocks whether they're <laughs> you know it's that really doesn't change basically by look but one of the ways that geologists view these rocks is they view them as thin sections mm-hmm. thin sections are when you take a rock mm. and you grind the rock first of all you cut the rock into you just cut like a a thin sliver off the rock and then you grind it into a I think it's seven micro micrometers. Oh, I thought you were gonna say like millimeters. No. (laughs) That's seven micrometers thick. And then you put it onto a slide, onto a slide that would go under a microscope. And then you view it under a microscope and we have special kinds of microscopes for geology that we call petrographic microscopes. So a petrographic microscope is a special kind of microscope that uses not just regular plain light that we use to look at things, but you have filters to polarize the light.
0: Similar to how
1: sunglasses work for our eyes, they polarize the sunlight coming into your eyes so you don't get every single ray of light coming in. You only get Mm. specific ones. So you can still see out of them. It's not like pure blackness, but you're also not damaging your eyes in the process. Mm. So that similar kind of principle is, is applied because when you have filtered light that's shining through these slides that we've created you get different effects depending on what kind of minerals they are Hmm. and what kind of chemical composition they have so that's really how we differentiate a felsic rock from a mafic rock from an ultra mafic rock even if on the surface it may look like it's a mafic rock you may put it under a thin section realize oh the content of this rock is actually much higher in calcium than i expected or much higher in Hmm. you know it's much lower in potassium than I expected. So, therefore, it's an ultramafic rock. Okay. And there's very specific types of ultramafic rocks. Um, again, they're very... The, the thing is, they're not very common at Earth's surface because they're not comfortable at... <laughs> they're not comfortable. They want to be
0: hot and gooey. Yeah.
1: They're not comfortable, okay? They're not comfortable <laughs> up here. <laughs> They're like me at a party they're not comfortable <laughs> and they don't want to be involved so they they, they want to be out in the open <laughs> yeah so they they weather under the stress is what i'm saying <laughs> they disagree with uh how they're being treated and they uh they react accordingly but yeah these these rocks very quickly weather in geologic time maybe not in human time but in geologic time <laughs> at surface temperature and pressure conditions okay. They're just not comfortable. How would you get one of those, like from an, a volcano or something? Where Volcanoes is one way, and also um, where you have plate boundary collisions, but we can, we'll can, we be talking about that later. Okay. But yeah, but there, there are ways that Earth forces its material from underground into the surface, whether we want it to or not. So, okay. <laughs> so that's the white chunk, and then we have our yellow chunk, which is the of yolk. the egg. Returning to our egg metaphor. Yes, we're going yes. back to our egg ne- analogy. The yolk. We got our yolk, and the yolk is the core of the Earth. We have a two-phase core. A, an egg only has the one once it's been boiled. <laughs> our core is filled with iron and nickel and also sulfur. Which, okay. I mean, there you go. If you want to put that for your egg analogy, <laughs> Ellen. Yeah. But um, it's the, the most dense portion of Earth. Okay. So I actually, for Ellen, I gave her a helpful diagram, which you all can't see, but maybe we'll post it <laughs> on one of our social medias at some point. Yeah. We talked about the crust, which is like the shell. It's very brittle compared to some of the other layers. And the thing is, like, we... We have heard, you may or may not have heard, that there are various attempts by scientists to drill really deep into the Earth to, like, yeah, get an like idea about it. Russian scientists digging a giant hole Yeah, so the, one of the deepest holes in the Earth is in Russia. In yeah, it's fact. like the
0: something borehole. There's a name for it.
1: Yes. And it's um, 12 kilometers, just about 12 kilometers deep. hmm But that's still well within the crust of the Earth. That's not wow. even going down. Uh, the crust of the Earth can be as deep as, like, 70 kilometers in some places. So wow, it's really? like, that's, wow, Yeah, it's not even close coming in, in to some the mantle. well they should
0: have started it in a place like
1: in <laughs> Yellowstone. The problem is <laughs> the problem is it gets too hot and the drill bits just you melt.
0: Yeah I think they replace it pretty frequently don't they, they? try
1: but it just <laughs> won't go much deeper. Yeah the next layer that we have under the crust is our mantle and the mantle is actually broken up into so the, the egg white it's broken up into three <laughs> sections. We have the lithosphere at the top which is a very it's a very it's a relatively thin layer and it's very rigid. And then the next section is called the asthenosphere, and it's it's very malleable. It's kind of plasticky almost. Not made of plastic, obviously. It's made of you like know, plastic and molten the sense that it's rock. Gooey, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and this is where my my teacher would describe the lithosphere as potato chips. <laughs> they would be floating on top of the asthenosphere, which is kind of more like a what jello. Do you call it not quite jello. He used the term um, like custard. Yeah, kind of a custard would probably work because it's like a, you know, it has some give to it, but it's also pretty solid most of the mm-hmm. time, but also really hot. <laughs> a hot <Dude>. custard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and then below that, the thickest layer, and it's thick with two Cs, by the way, is the mesosphere. <laughs> it is pretty thick.
0: I'm looking at the diagram.
1: Yes. So the mesosphere is the thickest one. It's of the mantle and it's rigid also. So you go rigid, malleable, and then rigid again. And then below that, we have our outer core. So our outer core is liquid.
0: Mm -hmm. So like egg goo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like a soft-boiled egg, I guess.
0: Yeah. The thing is... Also hot, though. Very hot.
1: I told you earlier, our deepest borehole is still only within the crust of the Earth. Yeah. How the heck do we know that the outer core is liquid? I was just going to ask you that. Well, let me tell you, Ellen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The outer core is... We know it's liquid because there are... Earthquakes that we have, um, and right. when we have our earthquakes, there's three main types of waves that come out of earthquakes. We get surface waves, which are the ones that we feel, and they, they shake our gizzards, <laughs> and then we have primary waves, which are the waves that actually travel from the earthquake site to, um, to wherever we're recording. Uh, they travel the fastest, so they get there first. So that's why that's like
0: underground, yes, like deep underground. below, deeper below the surface, or something like that.
1: Correct. And then we not have not on the
0: surface, like the surface
1: ones. Yes. And then we have secondary waves. So secondary waves travel slower, and they travel in a different way than the primary waves. So that's why they so so primary waves are first, and then yeah. they're secondary waves, and then surface waves shows up last. Actually, okay. So that's how earthquake warning systems work. Is they actually get notice from the primary waves first that something's oh. going on underground. And then they'll send out a notice to you know people like hey you need to get out of here or whatever you need to take cover, and then the secondary waves hit, and then the surface waves will come through, and then that's when we feel all the crazy shaking.
0: How? Oh wait, I have a question. How deep is like a probe, an earthquake
1: probe? They're usually at the surface. It's
0: just on the ground.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. they're usually just sitting on the surface. They're not really a probe. So they're Sesamo- just super seismographs. Sensitive. There are there are seismographs that are that people have probes for into the earth. But most of them just sit in a room. Okay. That makes they're sense. just trying to feel. They're just trying to feel the waves. Okay. So anyway, so primary waves can travel through any type of matter. They can go through solids, liquids, or gases. Secondary waves, however, do not. They only can pass through solids. So we have, and we have evidence of this with how they react at the ocean as well. But oh, s- secondary waves. So
0: if he, so, sorry, secondary waves don't go through water. Is that what you're just yes. saying?
1: Yes. Okay. They don't go through liquids. Yes. Okay.
0: Or gases, as you said. Yes, or, or gases. Solids.
1: So they don't go through the air either. Okay. But yeah, so prim- so secondary waves, when they're traveling through the earth, they are refracted. They're bounced back once they hit the outer core. And so we get a feedback response, kind of like echolocation or like sonar, hmm. when they hit the outer core, we oh. get a recording of it coming back to the previous location. So, um, or where they left from.
0: So is that how they know like, how deep it is too?
1: That's measured differently. Okay. But that, that's how they know that. That's how we know that our our liquid, uh, we have a liquid outer. There's core. a liquid layer. Yeah.
0: Okay. Versus cool.
1: uh, primary waves can be felt. They can go all the way through the earth and they can be recorded on the other side of the earth from where the. Initial <laughs> Do you think they could be felt? Was.
0: Well, I guess this primary wave wouldn't be felt. No, you
1: wouldn't. The human wouldn't feel it, but the seismograph can record it. Interesting. And then so we have okay, so we have primary and secondary waves. Yep. Um. But anyway, so we get distracted. That's uh, we have the liquid that's outer how the earth core. is structured. Yes. Well, and then we have our, <laughs> and then we have a solid inner core. Okay. So the solid inner core, they're both made of similar materials. They're both made of iron and nickel and it's super dense in there. And if you're more interested, we're going to talk about, we're going to have an earthquake session later, but yes, I have asked Ellen to include a link in when we post this particular podcast that shows a animation that was made by the Incorporated Research Institutes for Seismology, which is part of the National Science Foundation. And they did an animated graphic of the 274 Sumatra earthquake and the tsunami that occurred from the earthquake. But you can see how the primary waves and the secondary waves and the surface waves travel across the earth. And you can see how they affect the area away from the center of the earthquake. I looked at it. It's nice. It's a very good graphic. You can like rotate it around. And stuff <laughs> yeah, like you that. can
0: really rotate cool. it so you can see the surface wave on the surface. And then you can also look inside, like look at the core and you can see the primary waves yeah and the secondary waves not going
1: through the core not going through the liquid layer of the core yeah exactly mm-hmm. so then we know what our earth looks like from kind of top to insides and <laughs> top to inside <laughs> <laughs> so we have so we have this lithosphere which i mentioned which is the top part of our mantle and it's again it was the the potato chips sitting on top of my professor called it cold honey we called it custard but he called it cold honey so it was like very thin layer of chunks of things floating on top of a more semi-solid yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) i get it it's something kind of gooey but kind of liquidy but has um stuff can sit on
1: top exactly yeah so these parts of the lithosphere we actually call those those potato chips those individual potato chips we call them plates um and these plates are rigid and it leads us into our next topic for this uh podcast which is going to be plate tectonics so, you mean this podcast or this episode? <laughs> this this episode. But but also this podcast and also all of geology actually. Okay. Plate tectonics are incredibly important for our understanding of geology today. And I guess when I before I really go into what tectonics is, aside from basically saying that it's the mechanism that creates several of our geomorphic landforms that we see today, mm. really before the 1900s, geologists and other scientists thought that every future that we have on earth was permanent that what? it was there yeah they thought it was there it was created and that exactly was it. the way that it is yes and it was created in some time so far ago like antiquity and it's been there and it's been that way forever even though i'm That's sure kind of that, crazy
0: because you could observe weather changing
1: stuff i mean like there Niagara was Falls, obviously gets shorter every evidence. Year. To the contrary. Like we had volcanoes, <laughs> you know. We had I guess um, there's a lot of
0: evidence of things that change that people don't accept as change though anyway. So I mean, you know. The whatever. thing is
1: like there was you know, there was evidence there was with our theory, eyes that things though, were happening. It's like the thing yeah. is, you know, we didn't have airplanes, so people weren't like yeah, yeah, flying yeah. No. over yeah. to see landforms from above. Mm. You know, they only saw what they saw when they were on their feet or if they were they in were. a higher elevation through a mountain or something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Or they're like, That was always a volcano. Exactly. Not like not like, oh, it like this island slowly that.
1: rose out of the sea. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So um, to that effect, I believe in the late 1800s, there were several incidents where things like that did happen. Like Krakatoa and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where it completely destroyed the island that was there. So there must have been some kind of thought going through people's mind where it's like, and like oh, Pompeii. Oh, well, that's
0: right. Oh, well, that's right. Um, but they also like, I mean, I think before the, this is the
1: 1800s? This was, yeah, before the 1900s
0: that's like but that's like before germ theory so i mean like there's you know what i mean like yeah. there's so many other things i just like people didn't things that seem obvious to us that were not even th- the idea
1: didn't even exist yeah the crazy krakatoa um eruption was in 1883 and i'll save it for the next podcast well even like
0: pompeii that was like in the like
1: that was before yeah, that was antiquity but it yeah it was, was discovered an antiquity. i believe it was discovered in like Seventeen or 1800s i can't remember when it was discovered i could be really wrong about that i don't know well the thing is like it was under so much ash people didn't know that they there were people
0: you know <laughs> what i mean things. like they
1: didn't know that there was a thing but the ash
0: there. was there like that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah. but i mean like yeah. it was
1: solidified ash it was like it was like rocks oh because that's what happens to ash when it sits for thousands of years it becomes rock- <laughs> rocks yeah it makes sense the first known date that was part of anything was unearthed, was 5- 1592. 1592. So the 1500s. So medieval times. Yeah. And you then you really just said fully, the eruptions yeah, was 500 BC? 79 BC was the was one. The, the first one. one. Yeah. So it's, you know. So
0: then 500 AD. There was other explosions. It was over a
1: thousand years before human beings decided wow. to uncover it, start to uncover it. it. I think the major uncovering wasn't really done until the 1700s. Hmm because herculaneum was discovered in 1700s so i think i think it was about that time but interesting but yeah just anyway i don't remember how we got talking about that
0: uh i was just like like pompeii existed yeah evidence of of geologic activity yeah and that's the thing but the thing is like people just were like
1: no that's it um but (laughs) anyway so reasonable i mean
0: (laughs) uh, compared to all other like human knowledge understanding at the time
1: so the thing uh, that I wanted to talk about is I want to name a couple of really important scientists for knowledge of geology today, because they really paved the way for how we we think about, um, you know, modern geology and how our earth works. So one of those you wanna people... give some You want to give some like old timey shout outs? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, <laughs> I want to give some shout outs <laughs> okay. to my boy Wegner. <laughs> what up, Wegner? 1915 came up with the concept of continental drift. Wow. Yo, Wegner, what up? So, yeah, 1915, he suggested that... Did people say that he was crazy at the time? Like,
0: Probably. Sci- like other, I think there were some scientists. people who were cool with it,
1: and then there were some people who weren't, because there was a lot of simultaneous... There's, like, this theory of um, simultaneous discovery that seems yeah. to happen a lot of times where people... Yeah, simultaneously have these same kind of ideas around the same time, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it is just you get exposed to similar stuff. It's kind of like how we have social media, and people will come up with the same YouTube channel like a day apart from each other. <laughs> it's because they're watching the same channels same or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or they'll post the same meme on the same. Or the site. same
0: thing is happening, and
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. So it it was, it was. A thought that was floating around in the scientific community by the early 1900s but like it was like maybe it's not everything wasn't all there yeah, people people started having feels about it once uh <laughs> 1900s came around and yeah. so 1915 was wagner or wagner i should say um he was the one who suggested about this really famous thing that you may or may not have heard of called pangea <laughs> it's a no i no <laughs> idea he was like i've heard of pangea he was like I think this supercontinent existed in the past and people were like, "What?" So he was like, <laughs> "Yo, there like 200 million years ago or so, thereabouts, or so <laughs> in what we call what we call the Mesozoic era, there were like big pieces of land <laughs> that were together, but then these like giant hunks of land drifted apart and now nah. they're in their current positions <laughs> and it looks like our modern map." And people were like, "I don't know about that." And he was like hold up hold up so he went and collected a bunch of evidence so
0: yeah because there's evidence evidence for for pangaea existing yes
1: so his evidence he was was like let me show you (laughs) yeah let me show you wrong so he collected evidence before that but i mean that was the theory and then he kind of collected evidence after that but he also used some evidence from other people who at the same time were kind of performing similar experiments Mm. so one of the one of the first things he suggested was hey look at south america and look at africa yeah but they clearly (laughs) fit together And people were like what you know like (laughs) they're they're clearly two parts of the same half yeah um that one's one of the easiest the thing is um his research also included something called the the continental slope which is the edges of the continent that are actually Mm -hmm. underneath the ocean Mm -hmm. and ellen knows this because ellen was in oceanography she's done a bunch of oceanography stuff she's probably way more qualified than i am to talk about ocean stuff
0: i know like two things about the sea (laughs)
1: <laughs> she knows a lot about the ocean she's like but <laughs> i kind of think of it kind of like the like a skirt apron that's like the edges of something or like the mud flap on a tire you know it's like the edges <laughs> yeah of but something. basically it's
0: like there's the edge of the land that you see so like the beach yes and then even farther out into the ocean but if you you can imagine it as like the beach and then there's also the con- the edge of the continent of course goes much much farther into the ocean but at a very gradual sort of slope And then once you get to where the edge of the continent is, it drops off
1: steeply into a deeper part of the ocean. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a straight drop off, and so you've probably seen people have probably if they've looked up ocean. There's diagrams. Yeah, yeah. But really, so it's it's not just that the continents fit together; it's that their continental slopes fit together. So it's like if you hadn't before the 1900s, we didn't really have a very good way of getting a lot of ocean data. So, no, we still kind of down, but yeah so he hypothesized better this ways. at the time and it was proved later when people had better sonar techniques like sonar. for taking yeah, yeah for get, collecting along coasts um he also talked about there's a specific fossil that's found in argentina and other parts of south america but like the southern part of south america it's a very limited range but it's also found in southern africa so okay. yeah. it's a very, very limited range for this particular. He, it looked like it was like it's called Mesosaur, mesosaurus And it looks like a like a crocodile. You know what I mean? It's got little swimmy feet, but it's like not like super it. swimmy feet. Um, It was a type of reptile and it ate fish. But the thing yeah, is, it does look like a crocodile with a very long tail. Yes. So it was kind of like it was kind of it was a reptile. It was like a modern it was like a, an ancient oh, crocodile. Kind it's also of. not too big, like some terrifying. No. So, so the thing is, the, the theory was that this dude could not swim across the Atlantic. And, I mean, if you look at it, I don't think it could have. I don't think like it, it could either. The only limbs. things that can
0: swim across the Atlantic are like squids and like sharks and junk and whales. Yeah, so it's like, you it's know, not very, I don't think um, this
1: particular lizard could have gotten all the way from South America <laughs> to Africa where they are today. <laughs> it doesn't look like a big swimmer, no. So that was that was one of the things is that they concluded because it had such a limited range where its fossils were found, it was likely that it couldn't swim grand amounts and therefore that was further proof that you know the continents used to be closer to each other at some point Mm -hmm. before they you know drift apart to where they are today he also had other evidence including you know different types of rocks structures and similarities that were across the atlantic specifically so like if you look at rocks in greenland and or if you look at so we we look at in north america we have something called the appalachian mountains which are Mm -hmm. on the eastern coast of the united states those rocks that are there actually also exist in northwestern Africa really yeah, wow yes. oh, I didn't know because that. because um the Appalachians formed during Pangaea mm-hmm. so it was like a zipper that zipped all the continents together mm-hmm. so these same rocks are also found in Greenland they're also found in England and Scotland they're found mm-hmm. in Caledonia the Caledonian mountains which is that's the. It's in Norway and Sweden, and it's like the northernmost portion of the Appalachians.
0: Yeah, I guess if you kind of like rotate it, like wherever Europe. Well, actually, you have a helpful diagram, don't you?
1: Uh, I think so. <laughs> of Yeah, Pind- Well, I don't think I have a. I don't think you have a diagram.
0: Actually, at the time we. We'll oh, you just have the later. current plates, but like basically, like northern Europe was kind of smushed where the east coast of North America is, right?
1: Farther north than that, we were. We were oh, okay. pretty much Africa, for the most part. Ah, okay. England, I think, hit a little bit of like. Main oh so remember. Africa
0: goes in the chunk where the like the left the west coast of Africa the west parts that kind of sticks out yeah goes
1: into the where the Gulf of Mexico is yeah okay and the I thing see. is like a lot of the Gulf of Mexico didn't exist like the Gulf states yeah. didn't exist at the time so you have to imagine that they showed up later so it's yeah. like you kind of have to remove them from the equation mm-hmm. they accreted is the word we would use but they Ooh. showed up later but yeah the thing is also Pangea when it formed Pangea was actually rotated so that this Appalachian line was actually at the equator.
0: Oh, oh, Pangea was like sideways, almost. Yes.
1: yes. So everything rotated. Interesting. And so when it started to break apart, the whole um, eastern seaboard of the United States tried to break apart too early, and it created something we call a proto-Atlantic Ocean, where basically the entire east the eastern seaboard had. Multiple inland lakes. Some oh. of them were huge. Some of them were a little bit smaller. But they tried. They were. They were. The crust was spread really thin there. So it was, it was stretched really thin. So we were trying to get. So water was pooling. And so mm. we were getting like a, a tiny ocean. A By sea. like. Mm,
0: on the. So this is the eastern
1: seaboard of the United States. The yeah. East, so like Jersey. Um, Maine. Or. Uh, south, farther you know south? where. You know where. Have I talked to you. I've talked to Ellen specifically about this before. And I'm going to remind her. The Culpeper Basin. Uh huh. That was one of the basins. So Virginia. Culpeper, okay. Virginia, if that gives you an idea. So yep. it's not like it was, you know, at the very, very edge of the coast. It was farther inland, but that almost became the line of the Atlantic. Oh, yeah, that right? almost oh. became the Atlantic, but it didn't fully form. It failed. Okay. So Because it's a failure. It's a loser. All right. Chill. But anyway, so it's fine now. Um, <laughs> it filled in with sediment over time and became not a lake anymore. It just became, you know, kind of a kind of a dip in the ground. Land. Yeah, <laughs> we became land, and stuff. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So basically, those those rocks were like two sides of a zipper, and further proved his theory. But this this paper in particular really kicked off the research that was based around the idea that the continents were not stagnant anymore. You know, we before that we had really been like, this is it. This is all we got. It came from the past, and now it's here. Now, um, that paper really kicked it off for us. So then, in the night, the late nineteen forties, after World War II. The U.S. and the British Navy actually worked together to do research by collecting depth information along the entire Atlantic Ocean. Wow! They were trying; they tried to collect the global oceans, but they started with the Atlantic just because it was convenient. Um, yeah, and near Britain use, and North America. <laughs> yeah, and they used something called a fathometer, um, which is kind oh, of like it's like a, type a fathom. Of, yeah, like a fathom. For a second, I thought you
0: said fathometer, like a feather, and was no, like, no, okay,
1: yeah, like no. a fathom, fathom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fathom meter kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. but not quite. It's like an echo sounder, so it's not the same as sonar, but it's it's like a pre like a predecessor to sonar, okay. and they use that to collect depths in the Atlantic Ocean. So they collected this research, which showed and basically created a whole underwater map of the entire Atlantic, which was really cool. Wow! This work was incredibly significant for oceanography and for a mm-hmm. bunch of other fields at the time, which was great. And still now, even to this day, it's really important work. And they provided. They proved that around the globe, there are multiple oceanic ridges, hmm. multiple oceanic ridge systems. So, like bumps, you know, throughout the ocean. So the ocean is not just like one flat depth. You know, they're it's like not...
0: mountains at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, there are mountains. There, are,
1: there are you know, there are lips, what she there means are by edges. Bumps. Yeah, we talked about the continental shelf. It's not like it's not like a perfect bowl either. It's not like you have the beach and you have the edge of the beach and then there's like no. one perfect scooped out ocean either. <laughs> the ocean is not, you know, uniform in all places. Mm-hmm. So this was really important research for that too because we didn't really, the ocean is still kind of a mystery. It was a mystery at the time. It's still kind of a mystery. And this kind of mm-hmm. helped, you know, shed some light on what the ocean looks like underwater. Mm. So the Atlantic Ocean in particular has a mid-ocean ridge, a mid-oceanic ridge in it. Ellen, do you want to guess what it's called? I think I know. It's called the Mid Atlantic Ridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's
0: called the. It's so in the middle because, of the Atlantic, and again, it's an ocean because ridge. we all
1: just like to name things really complicated things. I mean... So it's the Mid Atlantic Ridge. It's very exciting. So anyway, so that was you know, it's not. It became discovered that we had a Mid Atlantic Ridge. Ooh. So we have. this. Wait. So what? Have, when was
0: this? What time? This was, was the, uh, 19... the late forties.
1: The late forties. Wow. This is after yes.
0: World War II, or yes, yeah, after Post-World World War
1: II. II. The thing is, also, you know, we also had World War One in the early yes.
0: 1900s <laughs> probably so put I a think... kind of a
1: damper on research yeah i think there was just a lot of stuff Although I going think on that was you when know.
0: like all that echo location technology echo like sonar technology and stuff was
1: probably started probably i don't know enough about it i don't disagree well with they me. needed I it to know. look for they needed it to look for submarines so i think oh well this is this was basically i believe um and I think I've been told this before, that it was basically an extension of when people were looking for Nazi submarines.
0: Oh, they were like, and we might as well, like, take this yeah. at the
1: same time. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, well, we're done chasing Nazis. Now let's take some, uh, you know, scientific measurements. Yeah. Legit. I think that's really why they started as they had, you know, they had finished with their Nazi work. So they're like, oh, let's, let's do this now. Anyway, They were like, somebody, somebody, some, like, researcher was like, I have a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So the next scientist that I want to talk about is H.H. H. Hess. So this was in the early 1960s. He was this like Princeton guy. Um, Princeton guy. <laughs> yeah. He used this Navy, this, you know, this joint American-British Navy venture. They, he used that data to develop a theory that he called seafloor spreading. Okay. So he proposed that these ridges that are in the middle of the ocean are actually located above where there's mantle material coming out of the crust. And he calls it upwelling where there's an upwelling of hot mantle material and as it comes out of like a you know like a hole in the crust Mm -hmm. or like a line of holes in the crust Mm -hmm. um, it's being extruded out and it's leaving these ridges on either side and then what's happening is it's kind of like a essentially like a like a crust conveyor belt the ridges are being pushed farther and farther away as yeah. more material is coming out and it's pushing the continents away from each other yeah. so that North America is moving away from, you know, Europe and Africa. Africa. Yeah, in Europe. So that was his theory. And and it's, you know, and that the, the ocean floor is spreading laterally away from each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in 1963, Vine and Matthews, and you see what I'm saying about how people kind of like have similar ideas at the same time. Mm-hmm. In 1963, we have Vine and Matthews. Mm-hmm. And... I mentioned it previously. I said that we talked about basaltic uh, material. We have um, crust mm-hmm. that is mafic; it's like the darker mafic crust or uh, basaltic crust. And one thing that's you know significant about that type of crust is that it has a lot of iron in it. Okay. And I mentioned that earlier. And the reason yes. I'm bringing it up again is because these two dudes, when they did their research, they did research about the magnetism of the iron in this crust. Okay. So, this crust, this heavier crust, this basaltic crust, is found under oceans usually because it's okay. heavier. So, it sinks and it's underneath water. So, a even lot of times. if it
0: comes out of the it's extruded to the seafloor, it will stay like, on the seafloor because it's heavy.
1: Yeah. Okay. And it's basaltic. Yeah. And it'll just stay down there. Yeah. Attach well, it's itself, heavy because it's there.
0: basaltic and then it stays down there. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. And well, on the earth, I mean, when you have that much water on you, it's really heavy. So it yeah, just kind that's of true. it sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, most um all oceanic crust on earth is basaltic. Really? Oh. Yeah, because it it sinks it's b- below it sinks below anything that's felsic. Felsic will rise. Uh-huh. So it just slides underneath anything that's felsic. Okay. Material. Huh. Um felsic being any of the continental crust which is lighter in nature. So it goes underneath it. Oh. You guys Wait, can't so see all, it but Ellen is all... seeing me gesticulate into my camera. I'm like yeah. showing two hands like yeah, one yeah. sliding over top of the other. We'll talk about this next podcast cuz we're in it. Are about... you saying
0: that all continental crust is felsic?
1: Yes. Oh, okay.
0: Yes. That's oh. exactly what I'm and saying. And then because because the oceanic crust is more dense, it goes underneath the conti- continental crust?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it, it, a lot of times it gets it gets recycled because it's heavier, so it just it goes underneath the felsic crust and it and melts it goes
0: into the melt into the mantle or whatever. yeah yeah so okay.
1: there's actually um on our earth the oldest crust that we have is continental for mm-hmm. that very reason the oldest oceanic crust we have is only 180 million years old which is not old. <laughs> only because like the oldest oh, how continental old is the crust, old continental crust? We, yeah it's like 4.5 billion years old wow
0: oh that's right you talked about that in the first episode yeah of the, exactly the podcast yes
1: so vine and matthews okay they looked at basaltic crust they looked at these the the crust at the oceanic oceanic ridges okay and more importantly they looked at the iron that's within this crust okay because they wanted to know about magnetic fields on the earth so the earth has a magnetic field we're going to probably have an episode where we talk about magnetic fields and how they're formed and stuff like that what's important for you to know is that if you've ever used a compass or something you know that a compass points north Mm -hmm. um the thing is magnetic north wasn't always towards the north pole over time, it's shifted. So sometimes it's actually been at our South Pole. I would be more shocked, except I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's been at our South Pole, and actually, over time, it would switch back and forth, switch back and forth. Our polarity right now is actually moving more towards the South and I think, maybe like 10,000 years or so. I could be wrong about that. Really? Only 10,000? That's interesting. <laughs> it's really not that long. It's not yeah, not in long. geology time. No, not in geology How time.
0: often does it flip back and forth?
1: Um it's you know? I can't remember I can't is remember is it honestly. like
0: perfectly cyclical like it's always no. like every okay okay no it's
1: semi cyclical I think there are some adjustments to it though okay um follow I think
0: up that... as another topic sometime. yeah we'll
1: follow up and I could be wrong and I'll double check before we do our magnet lecture but uh, <laughs> lecture <laughs> because is a giant magnet it's clearly totally me lecturing Ellen this entire time but yeah so, <laughs> I'm enjoying um, it but so they looked so they looked at the crust um at the okay. C4 spreading and they looked at the magnetic polarity. Inside of the iron that was inside of these uh, crust pieces, so like time. at an atomic level, or they a... were looking at you can actually, I mean, you can see it. You don't have to look at atomic. You can see it with the naked eye in the rock. Is that what you are saying? You can with some some rocks, you can okay. see it in the naked eye. I don't know if these ones you could see with the naked okay, eye. So I, I don't remember with... exactly how they looked at it. That's fine. Um, but so anyway, so they they looked, they at, looked at, it. at they studied the reversal, and what they realized was that on one side of the ridge, on the eastern side of the ridge you had a perfect mirror image of rocks to the western side of the ridge so either side mm-hmm. of your your seafloor spreading area you had the same polarities on either side exactly mirrored to each other so you and mean so what... like
0: the same distance away like yes okay
1: so it basically looks like a like a series of zebra stripes where you just have black white black white black white it's, <laughs> okay. like, it's like north pole south pole north pole south pole north pole south pole um, so, that proves, so that proves so that proves the theory that these like rocks spreading. that are on either side of the ridge are formed at the same time mm-hmm. and they're spreading away at the same rate from each mm-hmm. other, or just about the same rate. Okay, so that that proved the the seafloor spreading idea or theory, as the word as you would use in science. <laughs> science. So that was um that was very important towards plate tectonics. But I would say arguably the most important geologist for plate tectonics was J.T. Wilson. So Wilson, okay. in 1965, So this is 1965, this guy came up with this paper that was eventually called the Theory of Plate Tectonics. It wasn't at the time, but now it is. Hmm. In this paper, he suggested that Earth is actually a continuous network of pieces. These pieces are connected by large fault zones. So no where way. you have like mountains and ridges and stuff like that. And these pieces of Earth's, you know, shell, you know, our eggshell analogy, are mm-hmm. ridges, rigid pieces of crust. Today, we have a kind of a proper definition for plate tectonics theory. And it's that, well, the definition that was in my textbook for when I was in school (laughs) says that the composite of a great variety of ideas that explains the observed motion of Earth's outer shell through the mechanisms of subduction and seafloor spreading. Both of those are um, crust-to-crust interaction points you know what i mean so it's like where the two potato chips crunch into each other either that's (laughs) or 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 move away from each other and
0: then subduction is where they one goes underneath the other one so you were talking about right like about how you're talking about how continental crust uh oceanic crust goes underneath continental crust that would be subduction yep that's exactly what it is and then the sea the it spreads at the ridges
1: correct the crust spreads at the ridges i should say and so in turn these movements of the plates actually generate earth's major features including continents mountains ocean basins Volcanoes. so this was 1965 y'all <laughs> 1965 this has been like accepted as fact in and within like like less than a decade of when he came up with it you know what yeah. i mean it was like... This, well, it's, that, it's that observable. Never, like, that's that the thing about happens, it. That never happens, though. That never mm-hmm. happens with scientific theories. <laughs> because it's just like... You, there, there are still people today, to this day, who do not believe in plate tectonics. But wow. we teach it as if it were solid truth, even though someone didn't write about it until 1965. But it's, like, like, it like was verified,
0: isn't it? I mean, it's like... It's an accepted scientific theory, which means that it's been like empirically researched yeah, Exactly. other people have proven it. But it's it. still
1: just insane to me because it's like people didn't believe that the sun and the earth, you know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> well, people believed that the earth, everything rotated around the earth for yes. like hundreds of years even though it was yes. observed. It was observed with telescopes, you know what yeah. I mean? So it just, it usually takes a lot longer for scientific theories to be believed as fact, but this, this was believed so rapidly. Mm. Again, there are still some geologists today who are like, eh, I don't know if that's true, even though, I 100 percent believe it, but you know, um, just something to keep in mind that uh, that you know it's just it's just incredible. That's What's, just one of the incredible things to me.
0: What are the alternate theories?
1: I don't know? know them. I like don't know what, them because there was never if you don't taught believe them. Tectonic theory? Then what? I don't know. I was never taught them. I was okay. never taught them because nobody else, no one <laughs> that I went to school with, believed anything besides that. Interesting. So that doesn't mean that there aren't other semi-valid theories. I just, you know, this is the one that I was taught and I very much believe it. I think it's right. But anyway. um, (laughs) I can get behind that. How do we know that these boundaries exist? Well, we see them. We see them as mountains. We see them when there's faulting. So like the San Andreas Fault where there's like causes a lot of earthquakes. We see them as volcanoes. Um, So some people may have heard the term ring of fire. Mm -hmm. The ring of fire is in the Pacific Ocean. And all these volcanoes occur around the Pacific Ocean. And they occur at the fault boundaries between... um, Two different types of crust they occur between oceanic, oceanic crust, crust and of the continental pacific, crust under the pacific ocean and yes. the continental crust of like the north american plate and the asian plate, asian plate? and australia yes all mm-hmm. those plates going around there. south american plate okay. you know we also see this as earthquakes really are the you know the biggest easiest factor to see because earthquakes really occur at plate boundaries mm-hmm. um there you are say, there like, the are... epicenter would
0: be at a plate boundary yeah
1: it's rare that you would get an earthquake there, there are other times and other ways you get earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are man-made, which we'll probably have an episode where we talk about that too. Mm-hmm. If you're interested to get a, get a preview of that, look up Oklahoma fracking, and you'll get some <laughs> uh, interesting results about how many earthquakes Oklahoma has had since they started, started fracking. fracking. But anyway, um, I'm not here to spread my agenda early. Now you're, you're, we have...
0: <laughs> Your pro-fracking
1: agenda, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, you know, plate tectonics is incredibly important and there's, I have in no way covered every single thing that has to do with plate tectonics, but the reason I had to describe both the way that the earth is formed and then also plate tectonics themselves is because this whole podcast is supposed to be about geomorphology, <laughs> but you need to know both of those things before we talk about geomorphology. Now, geomorphology, the, the actual reason we're talking about this podcast. So um, wait,
0: wait, before you talk about geomorphology... Give us one more time a little
1: breakdown. Okay. So we went outwards in. So let's go inwards mm-hmm. out this time. Okay. So we have our inner core of our Earth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's solid. Solid. Heavy. Super heavy. Iron. See, yes. See, you could give this You could give this summary. I could try. <laughs> What's next on our... We have our, our inner core and then what?
0: There's like the next layer of the, the liquid core. Yeah. The secondary waves don't go through. Correct. That's how we know that it's liquid. Yep. There's... um, You can just call it the
1: what's the the mantle called? The mantle, mantle. and
0: there's like multiple layers of the mantle. There's like three layers of the mantle. Mm -hmm. I remember the The, middle one is the mesosphere.
1: A thinosphere is the middle one, and then mesosphere is the middle of the Earth, but it's and it's the thickest layer, but it's the bottom layer of the mantle.
0: Ah, okay, I understand. Um, And then there's a crust on top. Yeah, and then basically, like the next thing that you summarize is plate tectonic theory as a whole. The theory, plate tectonic theory, encompasses many theories about different plate tectonic action that result in landforms that are visible on yes. the Earth's surface.
1: And those visible landforms, the study of those, are geomorphology. It's geomorphology. <laughs> geomorphology. the, the technical is what you def- want to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the technical definition... Also, by the way, um, a lot of us just call it geomorph because we're lazy. But <laughs> geomorphology is the study of the origin and evolution of topographic, so like um, features on Earth, like mm-hmm. uh, land features. And bathymetric, which is like ocean features, oh, under the ocean, okay, yes. <laughs> um, got it. Created by physical and chemical processes, and operating mm, at or near chemical. the Earth's surface. So this is either the past or the present, and also includes other planets. So there, people perform Ooh. planetary geomorphology, where they study landforms on like Mars or the Moon okay. or whatever, um, whatever space object they're interested in. Okay, and a lot of our assumptions about planetary geomorphology come from our observable you know earthly landforms you know what i mean so we assume that you know mountains that formed on you know mars or the moon were due to plate movements or something similar Hmm. because that's a pretty solid assumption to make if they were you know a similar kind of planet to ours Mm -hmm. which mars is a very similar type of planet to ours Mm mm-hmm so yeah, so that's the basics of geomorphology. It's I like it cuz it's it's you know, it's studying
0: stuff like that you it. see. That is nice. You're talking about the core is kind of like okay, like it's it's kind of in the abstract. A lot you... of
1: a lot of geology that I'm again, I I mentioned this before is that I you know, I specialized in earth surface processes and the reason for that is because I like seeing stuff <laughs> with my eyes. Yeah. Um I don't have to see it you know directly. I could see it in a picture. A lot of geomorphology like, cool. is studying landforms from above, so we did a lot of we looked at a lot of aerial cinegraphs which means they're they're pictures but there are two pictures taken at different angles and they were Mm. taken in such a way that you could view them in stereo so you can view them in 3d Mm. so we had to view those in class and then we would have to we would have to use these special glasses for them and then people who already had glasses had a hard time because their eyes couldn't focus necessarily at the right Uh distance to see it in 3d yes that's me the struggle (laughs) was very real for a lot of people who who did that class but um, my
0: psychology professor said that (laughs) yeah <laughs> well, the, the well, struggle like, they said the struggle the is very real, real. <laughs> um well i took like a psychology of perception it was like sensation and perception uh it's not sorry it's not psychology it's like a more of a physiology mm-hmm. thing it's like physical basis of psychology but there's like i don't know like five percent of people can't see in stereo Yeah, like, can't see stereo mm-hmm. images so yeah you have it's, other it's visual pretty, t- it's actually pretty high. yeah doesn't mean you can't that. see it maybe it was like 10 percent It's pretty high. I can't remember. Um, Well, he, you know, psychology professors love to do this thing where they like look at the room. They're like, this class is 400 people. So five of you shouldn't be able to do this thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. I do Um, know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Because you've taken into a psych.
1: There's such a psych and like a sociology professor thing to do. Yeah. It's
0: it's very interesting. But like um, he also made um, stereoscopic uh, or like polarized glasses for that specific type of viewing. And yeah, I could definitely couldn't see them. Yeah. You have you have the good news is that you don't have to be able to have stereoscopic vision to see dimension. <laughs> no, nowadays you can just fly a plane, it's cool. Well, I just I just, meant, <laughs> I, just meant, I just meant if you're concerned that you don't see in 3D, don't worry because there's other visual cues that let you see in 3D. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Or maybe I'm the only
1: one who cares, but No, fine. there's ways you can trick your brain to do it. It's It's not like a big shadow. Deal. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So we have Anyway, um, geomorphology. back to, back to yeah.
0: geology, not psychology.
1: Geomorphology, we describe um, all of the formation of all these different things that we study in geomorphology, we describe them in terms of forces and how they're formed through these forces. Okay. So there's two major major types of forces that we have. We have endogenic, which means that they're internal. Like internal to the endo- earth. Correct. Okay. And then we also have exogenic, which are external processes that kind of occur to the earth but are not <laughs> caused the by earth. the earth. Okay. So some of the endogenic thermacy or excuse me, endogenic processes that we have are things that are driven by um gravity um Kay. geothermal so. heat so like heat that rises up from the inside from of the, the earth, earth. Mm-hmm. yeah um this includes a lot of igneous activities again i'm using that term igneous cuz we talked about in the first podcast but it's things such as you're saying like volcanoes yeah okay. orogenesis <laughs> is the fancy term for mountain building orogenesis i like that cuz it's like origin you know orogenesis uh-huh. And then well, I, th- I thought of
0: it as like ore, like iron ore or something. But yeah, no. <laughs> Orogenesis.
1: Anyway, go on. And then aparagenesis, which is when you have—that's the, the technical term for tectonic uplift. But that's also kind of a technical term. So it's when you have <laughs> when you have continental crust that's being shoved up by oceanic crust, mm-hmm. or continental crust that's being shoved down by something else—that's um, subsidence. They get shoved down. Yeah. And we'll okay. talk about that later. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's usually through geothermal heat, again, is another, oh, okay, or gravity the, okay, causes, this, uh, causes these issues. Uh-huh. Um, these are not mountain building events, but they're the opposite. So they're a lot of times they're separations. And then, um, but so like seafloor spreading, so like seafloor spreading comes under this category of a paragenesis, okay. which we talked about previously. Okay. So generally these, um, these endogenic processes are considered constructive. And I don't mean that like, construction <laughs> like in that good. they're like good for you like they tell you you no, know you need building more crust correct so okay. that's why seafloor shredding always builds more crust again they're constructional in that they increase elevation or relief basically so okay. exogenic uh exogenic forces that we have these can be driven by solar radiation and gravity actions of things like water or ice or wind okay um, how they affect stuff is considered exogenic so these these processes tend to be destructional instead of constructional, okay. so usually they cause erosion. They cause a decrease in elevation or relief.
0: Okay, makes that makes sense to me. So we have the Indo, we have the Indo and the Exo. Okay, from now, inside the Earth and from outside, and as in on top. Does space stuff count as like?
1: They would be considered exogenic. Yeah, like a meteor they slam into the Earth at or 100 meteorite. miles an hour or whatever. Yeah. yeah okay. We're going to talk very generally about the different type of, like, the different categories of geomorphic landforms. Okay. Because I think that what we'll do is, you know, we'll talk generally here, and then maybe we'll have some specific episodes about these specific landforms. But I may bring up, like, a couple examples um, just to talk about. Yeah. So you can kind of break geomorphic landforms into different categories. Okay. So one of the, like, the first category would be anything that's caused by internal forces or climate. So internal forces would include, you know, mountain building events, any sort of like plate movements, volcanism, stuff like that. And then climate at a specific location changes how things, how rocks, specifically weather and how landforms are created. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that you can guess, uh, but in an arid climate, like Mm -hmm. a desert, do you think you're going to have different types of landforms than you would in a rainforest? (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, because they're like completely well, different climates. Yeah, and one is more exposed to the wind and the other one's more exposed to
1: water and exactly. different types of material and whatever. So climate really yeah. affects, it affects a lot to do with rocks and specifically it affects mm. soil, which leads us to our next category, which is kind of um, our next category of geomorph- geomorphic landforms, which would be chemical weathering and soils. Um, chemical weathering, some of the things that are included in chemical weathering are things such as decomposition which is when you mm. move from a less stable mineral to a more stable mineral at Earth's temperature pressure. conditions. So you mean like atomic decomposition? It can, it can be atomic. Or... It can be other things too. Okay. But like some of the, one of the easiest examples. Not that... like decom- not decomposition isn't something dying though. No, no. Yeah. Not like that. I mean, that's kind of what's happening. It's becoming, going from less stable more like at a to bones, way. which are more stable. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah, is yeah, really yeah. what's happening no, when you're yeah, decomposing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. One of the easy examples for us to see is oxidation which is rusting, so if you see something getting rusty, Mm -hmm. that's actually a more stable form of the mineral at Earth's temperature and pressure conditions. And weather conditions, I guess, because it's the atmospheric conditions.
0: Not weather, but the
1: composition of the atmosphere, as in there's
0: oxygen, yeah,
1: okay. Correct, Yeah. Um, another way is dissolution, so that's when something goes from a solid to a liquid. So, uh, you know, salt, for example, salt Mm. crystals are more stable, you know, if you drop them in water, Mm. they're gonna become one with the liquid eventually. Um, which is more stable for them than trying to stay together into one solid piece when they're in you know. a liquid. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Correct. pH changes are another example of this, but there's a lot of different ways we can do uh, chemical weathering. And then soils are generally just the result of long-term weathering. Hmm. You know, I got to say this, dirt is cool. I think a lot <laughs> of people put, you know, they just see dirt on the ground and they're just like, cool, whatever. But <laughs> Dirt is very, very important, and I love me some dirt. And I'm absolutely making Ellen listen to me rant about dirt for like at least (laughs) an hour for one podcast. I would love to to talk about dirt. Oh my god, I love dirt so much. Anyway, I took a whole. But also, I think people
0: people probably mostly think of their dirt as like the topsoil that's like brought in and like. Not like the dirt that's like actually not the soil that's actually like underneath that naturally exists in the place that
1: they are. Exactly. Well I mean like that's the thing, is like there's nothing wrong with having topsoil brought in because you know, we gotta eat. But you know, it's also interesting. <laughs> yeah, we can't grow things in clay or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's interesting to learn about well, not things that you wanna eat. Um, it's interesting <laughs> to learn about the different types of soil. Yeah. Every state has a state soil. Most oh, I people didn't know don't that. know this. <laughs> it's very important. Uh, What's Virginia's
0: state soil? The Pamunkey,
1: the Pamunkey soil Soil, is, yeah, it's Pamunkey okay. and it's it's found outside Jamestown, which is why it's the state oh, soil. Okay. Uh you want to guess what it's made of? It well, was in our pro- backyard, too. Probably clay. It was red all, clay. All of <laughs> the state all soil of Virginia's Virginia soil is has a lot red, red clay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but each state has their own specific like example soil, which I just said was Pamunkey for Virginia, mm-hmm. and in fact they have what they call a soil horizon where it's like a sample that they've taken of the soil and they have it contained in like a box for people to look at oh that's so cute in the st louis science center because i live in st louis the st louis science center actually has something that they call the grow pavilion which is devoted to agricultural work and like knowledge mm. about you know how different farms and stuff like that work which is very important for midwestern states it's like an incredible you know part of their entire economy mm. but they actually have a sample of every single state's soil. Really? the soil. Food. Yes. And I've taken pictures of it. Oh, it made me so happy. I was oh, like really pumped Oh, how come about we didn't it. look at that when I, I was know. there? You may not remember. I'm pretty sure I showed Maybe. it to you and was like, look at this. <laughs> like, look at all the dirt. It was out was past like, the chickens uh it was just
0: hot. I think that's why we didn't And well, also, look you at were it. sick when you came to visit me. So oh, you I was just dying. I was so sick. You were so sick. I was so. like, I'm going to stand over here and look at this horse. Like that's what was going on, probably. <laughs> yeah, we, like, definitely oh, look. Chickens, we definitely went inside. Chickens. Look at the chickens. Buck, 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 buck. Yeah, you chickens. probably just that's didn't probably remember. what I was doing. We definitely doing. went
1: inside because they were making okay. pancakes inside. Don't you remember? No. Okay. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> went inside.
0: <You> <laughs> oh remember. wait, was that the building that was like the shed? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I remember going in there. I don't remember seeing soil. Maybe the, maybe Oh no, was it like on a big tables or was it on a wall?
1: They were on the wall. They were all around the walls. Okay. Had, they had the I soil big... sample from every state in the United States, which I think is amazing. Um, I really feel
0: cool. like they're all in like big glass tubes, Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I have a vague memory.
1: Hawaii is I really was cool. pretty tired by that point of the trip. I know. Though. You poor it's thing. Fine. You were it very sick. So but anyway, so I'll just I'll just repeat the rant. I don't care. I gave it to you then. I'll anyways, give it to you again. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So yeah, um, I, I'm going to happily talk about soil uh, at some point, And we can talk about how dirt's great. So after we have our chemical weathering, we go into physical weathering. So mass movements, um, slopes and how they change. So this can occur, physical weathering can occur through a bunch of different ways. It can occur through thermal expansion. So like if you have, you know, someplace that gets really, really hot uh, through the sun, you can have, you know, everything when it gets heated up, it expands. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of, a lot of times what happens is a rock oh. will expand and then if it like in a desert climate it'll expand and then at night it'll cool down and it'll actually mm-hmm. cause the rock to crack because mm. over time it just can't handle that change in temperature mm-hmm. um, Forest fires also cause this too where you yeah, have like I just a software in your notes heat. that's interesting. Um, hydration so like getting things getting wet can also cause swelling. I guess some um, rocks are like porous so they could swell. Exactly, there's a lot or like of sometimes, or like if there's an aquifer and it just gets overfull or something like that. There's a lot okay. of different ways that you can have water causing this kind of um, water you know, does a lot of damage, physical you know, damage. Yes, yeah. Mass movement uh, is also caused by, by uh, mainly gravity, but can also be caused by water as well. Hmm. It depends on the type of material. My favorite type of mass movement is called creep. <laughs> <laughs> so can can you guess uh, what kind of movement creep is? uh i don't know but it's probably slow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would get incredibly slow uh very very it's not visible to the naked eye at all it's caused solely due to gravity but oh. creep can actually be seen you don't see the creep but what you see is the effect of the creep you don't see the creep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one sees okay. the creep um but what happens is on you can see it really on like mountain sides that's the best way to spot it so okay. if you're looking at a mountainside there's like trees growing on a mountainside huh? what happens is the hill underneath the tree starts to slowly, slowly creep downhill. Uh-huh. The roots will travel with the creep, but trees like to be as vertical as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So they start to they start to get dragged downhill. But then bend more the sideways. yeah the the tree will overcorrect itself, and it'll end up with like a little kind of like a bulge in its side where it's actually like kind of made a small S curve where it's tried to like oh. correct for the creep that's occurring. Oh, so that's one of the ways you can see it. Sometimes oh. people like their farmers if they have like a fence the fence will slowly be moving in the wrong direction or whatever and you can see like the fence posts have moved like slightly from where they're supposed to be interesting
0: how um, long over how long of a time period is oh this? like years it's not but like um, not like
1: hundreds of years like no no this is like human time frames but okay not, um it can so you could theoretically observe it in your lifetime oh yeah yeah absolutely. okay interesting but yeah i think that's the the coolest example for me is being able to see those trees because it's just mm-hmm. it's just interesting but yeah they're compensating and trying to get back straight so the trees in the mountains do really weird things <laughs> to yeah. try to compensate the next category I, w- I would talk about is hydrology so hydrology is kind of like not just talking about you know a specific river but like overarching river systems and water systems mm-hmm. across the world so we have um this is like from the headwaters which is like the source of a river all the way mm-hmm. down to the mouth of the river mm-hmm. which is like the end whether it goes into another river or it goes into the ocean or whatever okay or a lake or something um this includes things like the patterns that river systems form so huh. you can have things like and it depends on you know the rock type and the geography so like two of the ones that i like are radial river systems which form around volcanoes and domes and stuff like that and as the name implies they're round okay is
0: there like one that we can google like can you give us an example
1: mount taranaki looks like it has one and oh, no, it's in um new zealand oh 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 it looks like the volcano is in a giant lake. It's just—it's just the drainage is going away from the center of the. So, like, if you have that upward center, water is going away from the lake or from the the top. so it's like you have like a mm. you know like a glacier on top, and it melts, and then water. Oh, in I it.
0: see what you're saying.
1: So you have water going away. So this from. is Mount
0: Tara- uh, Taranaki. It's yeah, T-A- T A.
1: Yeah, Mount Taranaki in New Zealand has yeah. a radial drainage pattern. T A R A N A K I. Mm-hmm. So if you want to like Google it, you can Google that one. Yeah, you can see it from above. If you do Google image search, it also shows you, um, if you Google like Mount Taranaki uh, drainage, you can actually see people have like drawn out the drainage pattern in a more um, cartoon way. So you can see mm. it a little bit more easily. Um, cool. But yeah, most, most mountains that reach such a height will be easily have a, that kind of radial drainage pattern. Um, another drainage pattern that I think is cool is dendritic. So dendritic forms when you have a relatively gentle elevation change. So it's like a, not, a, not a steep slope or anything. Um, and it's it looks like tree branches. Mm. And an easy example for that is the Mississippi River is an easy example of dendritic drainage oh. patterns. It's super, especially if you look at the, the end of the Mississippi, closer to New Orleans, you can see mm-hmm. it really significantly in that delta down there. So anyway, so those are um, hydrology. We also have fluvial geomorphology. (laughs) Fluvial. (laughs) Fluvial is actually the term for um, landforms that are created by rivers. So they have... So how uh, is that different than hydrology? Hydrology is like the entire river system rather than something that's created. It's like a larger scale. Fluvial geomorphology refers to things such as when you have like an oxbow lake. So that's what happens when you have a curve in a river that eventually cuts itself off. and because the river wants to flow fastest as possible. So it tries to flow straight, but sometimes it just slowly cuts off a portion of itself over time and creates a little lake that's called an oxbow lake. Mm-hmm. That would be an example of fluvial geomorphology. It's a much okay. smaller scale than what you have for hydrology, which is an entire hydro system. You know. Okay. I see what um, you're saying. Other things like, you know, the channel shapes of the rivers changing, um, different types of you know, how the banks of the river erode over time, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we'll probably talk about them because we'll probably talk about a river at some point. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. At least one. At least just (laughs) one river. We'll talk about a river. (laughs) The next type would be um, aeolian, which is not a delicious spread. (laughs) I promise you. It's not mayo. It's not a mayo spread with garlic. Um, But it's all about wind. So aeolian is the fancy term for wind-created. Cool. You know geomorphic landforms so wind gets to batter in rocks and then the rocks become tiny pieces and the tiny pieces uh get carried away as even tinier pieces So like that's dust in the wind <laughs> yeah literally yeah <laughs> um so that that would be uh, aeolian geomorphology cool next up we have wait racial. what's it?
0: can you give an example of that so like, like, a, um, like sand, sand dunes, dunes? sand okay. dunes
1: easiest example sand dunes <laughs> yeah there's a lot of different wind created landforms but hmm. sand dunes are one of the easiest ones to see with your okay. eyes and different shapes of dunes formed by different types of wind patterns and stuff like that Mm. and um different types of wind just has a different way of destructing things than water (laughs) does yeah and then we and i'll probably talk about um maybe we'll do like australia day or something we'll do there's a lot of of aeolian forms in australia Yeah. yeah okay makes sense uh, there's a lot of things in australia that can kill you um <laughs> such as wind yeah wind <laughs> is just one of them <laughs> it's one of the least likely ones to kill you <laughs> so next up we have uh glacial geomorphology so that's fancy ice for anybody okay. who is unaware of the technical term for glacial glacier uh, <laughs> fancy ice uh-huh. um, <laughs> not really we'll talk about glaciers at some point because i love it it's probably one of my favorite types of um you know all of the features that come from glaciers are some of my favorite features like to fjords. look at in the earth yeah fjords and fjords. Are and fjords yep absolutely and other stuff there's um <laughs> there's one of the a really famous basically examples. all of
0: where i live which is in toronto is all <laughs> old glacier
1: there's ground, a lot of there's a lot basically. of glacial landforms there glacial got, scarring yes uh toronto got smushed
0: but <laughs> more like scraped yeah, by ice. that's actually a really good term for it yeah <laughs> so there's this
1: thing um i want you to google it yes uh, audience as well as ellen it's called Half Dome in Yosemite National Park. Half Dome. And that's a very very famous um, glacial landform that a lot of climbers love. It's where El Cap is right? Because it's El Capitan yes. Yeah. So you can can you see it? Yeah I'm looking at it. You see how it's like a dome but there's like just a sheer cliff There's a wall? chunk missing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to guess what got rid of that chunk? <laughs> Based on the topic I'm gonna say it, a glacier. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's, that's uh, one half of a glacier valley, and it just came wow. through and just, and just destroyed yeah, just wrecked it. it. Just it. carried it away. Interesting. <laughs> it's actually, so basically a half dome is not actually a half dome. It's more like an 80% dome. Um, <laughs> There's def- a definite, like, chunk that's
0: clearly perfectly straight that's missing out of the side. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, if you look uh, more closely at the valley, you'll actually see that the valley that, you know, is part of the missing chunk uh-huh. is a U-shaped valley, which is indicative that that was a glacier that came through and not oh. like a river or something else. That's a very indicative oh. of, a, of glacier movement. A U, shape, a U shape instead valley. of uh, like a... Like a V. A V. Rivers are more likely to be like a V shape. Mm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Dome okay. was scraped away, taken away, carried off by a glacier at some Interesting. point. Um, <laughs> where did it go? No, but <laughs> yeah, but it's named that way because like if you look at half dome from a specific angle it's kind of an optical illusion in that it looks like half of it. it's like it looks like half a dome but mm, yes really it's it's an 80 percent i was
0: just thinking about um bubble rock which we saw in yes. Maine, which is a glacial deposit right it's called an
1: erratic erratic okay an erratic is um a term used for a hunk of rock that a glacier <laughs> picked up And then carried away and then dropped (laughs) off somewhere somewhere. else when it melt. Yeah. When the glacier (laughs) melted, it it melted and it dropped it off. And they can be, so like, how big would you say bubble rock was? Like the size of
0: three Winnebago's? Yeah.
1: It was like (laughs) a bus.
0: It's like big enough that you can stand a couple feet away and see all of it. Like you can stand like maybe 10 feet away and see all of it. But like if you, and it looks precarious because it's kind of, you can Google bubble rock. It's in Acadia National Park in Mm -hmm. Maine. And it's like, you can walk up to it and touch it and stuff, but if you touch, you look at it and you're like, that's going to topple off the side of this thing. But if you touch it, you're like, that thing's never moving. Yeah. It's it's like, this is several
1: tons of weight. There's no way I can move this with my body. Yeah. Like maybe like several elephants. Like you're mildly concerned that you'll shove it off and you'll fall with it, but there's no way it could possibly move. There's no way. Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. It's
0: very cool. It just looks like this giant boulder that's like just been left at the top of a mountain yeah glacial erratics like really on a cliff cool that way I, yeah. love, I
1: don't know i love glacial erratics but you i just, just love i just love ice i get I, it yeah i just uh, you know i just love really fancy ice <laughs> so the next um the next type of geomorphological feature <laughs> is don't don't come at me people geomorph- don't, don't come <laughs> at me if that's not right uh the geomorph stuff is uh periglacial I don't know if you've heard that term before. Have you heard that no, term before? But it's like kind of glacial, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's basically for regions that have really extreme cold mm. environments. So places that you would get permafrost. permafrost. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Alaska. So you get a lot of extreme freeze thaw. That's like northern Canada, yeah. Russia, which I can see from my house. <laughs> no, um, you can't. You're not in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in Alaska. You know, places like that. Yeah. And I'll talk about, I'll just talk about one periglacial feature that's my favorite. Okay. It's called a Pingo. I like it already. And it's not it's not the thing that a goes ping-win. newt newt. <laughs> it's
0: not newt newt not a clay a clay
1: penguin. No. A claymation so, penguin. So pingos are there what happens is you have a they look like just like like a con like a cone like a cone. They look like a conical shaped hill. Okay. Um and they have ice inside of them. So what happens is you have like a lake. huh and the lake gets covered over with land somehow. Okay. Um and in this process the water you know, in the winter, will start to freeze. So the water freezes and it expands. And so as it expands, it forces the land upward into uh-huh. this, like, cone shape. Oh. So you can actually see in some I'm places... looking at it
0: on Google. I mean, it's hard because if you Google Pingo, it seems there is a Pingu character named Pingo, <laughs> um, which I was not aware of until just now. <laughs> That's not um, what we're talking about here. I'm just letting Google. you
1: know. <laughs> Google, listen to our conversation. There's a lot of... Um,
0: there's a lot of... Um, yeah, there's a lot of other examples of actual thing you're talking about, but... There's also there some several pingos.
1: places that used to be in the permafrost range especially during the last cooling uh episode that we had on earth mm-hmm. which was and i by cooling i mean like the last um the last glaciation that we had on earth which was about ten thousand years ago okay um we had other times that were like cooling times but we'll talk about those uh maybe in another episode okay um that were caused by other well they know... can
0: explode
1: yeah so that's the thing is like you know we have several pingos in places that are not permafrost areas anymore. And because of that, they're just like, they're, they just collapse inward into mm. this like, this like weird mound. Yeah, it looks
0: kind of like a crater, but
1: like taller. Yeah. There's, they, there's
0: examples of them on them. And they have
1: like grass and stuff. You but it. you can see yeah, the yeah. edge, of you can basically see. So that's one of the ways that we know that our earth's temperature is changing is because the edge of the permafrost line is moving farther and farther back. Mm-hmm. So these, these pingos are not sustaining themselves anymore. They're collapsing mm. over time. So, and it's by back, I mean farther and farther north or farther and farther south, depending on you know what yeah, edge of the earth part... you're at. Yes, cool. So, yeah, so that's preglacial. Um, there's other stuff to it, that's just probably my favorite one. Cool. And then we also have um, karst geomorphology, which some geomorphologists don't consider its own specific category, but my textbook did, so I'm going to go hmm. into it. So, karst is basically all about limestone, and that's I love limestone, specific. so I'm like, yes, but um. <laughs> Limestone, because of its chemical structure and because of how the rocks form, it is really affected by water in particular. And so you get very specific types of landforms from karst topography. And if you want to look up some really great karst topography, you should Google um, karst towers, China. You'll probably be able to find it that way. I'm Googling it. Ooh. Oh, it's like Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> sorry you're gonna hear me clack clack while i pull it up
0: and i'm looking at it i think i've seen this it's very famous um it's a
1: world heritage site so it is incredibly famous but it's beautiful but so if you look at um if you look at these towers which they are they're like columns are awesome Mm. the land used to be at the top of those towers but it's limestone and limestone is really sensitive to water it's a very sensitive boy it's a pisces and you know, it just couldn't deal. So it slowly <laughs> destroys itself over the time. And you can see the river below it. Um, mm. I think the technical, it's called the Libo Karst, I think is what the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but the Libo Karst. Um, and I can't remember which river that is that's below. You mean the one in China? Yeah, what, what that name of that river is
0: um, um, that's below
1: these towers. But so that river good. used to be at the top, where the top of these towers were. And then over time has slowly eroded and made itself that path. And other things like, you know, like rain and gravity and all that have slowly, um, you know, destroyed it. But and also this particular part of China is very humid and um, it's subtropical, tropical Mm. to subtropical. And we talked about that earlier, how that affects um, how climate affects, you know, different landforms. But this is another example of why it caused such crazy uh, changes and beautiful, beautiful changes to this system. It's pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, if you look up so that karst that beautiful karst landform and is the like... other things that are associated with karst are things like uh caves cave systems are karst mm-hmm. topography okay uh, they're driven by limestone being they... destroyed by water are they always
0: or do they just happen to it's because limestone it's there can be cave forms
1: through other pur- other purposes but or excuse me other processes but mm-hmm. um specifically limestone caves would be considered mm-hmm. karst well, topography yeah that makes sense but i mean you can have a cave that's caused by something like a lava tube which is when you have part of what used to be a volcano and you have a hollow tube Mm -hmm. left behind of just you know volcanic uh cooled lava Mm -hmm. and a lot of times those get turned into caves by animals and whoever decides to inhabit them (laughs) okay because it's a hollowed out space that's big enough for things to go into it so there are other form landforms that create caves but Mm. probably one of the most famous is well also like mining, but (laughs) i mean yeah but you know but yeah, so, um, but limestone is the, the main okay. beautiful cave driver, I would say. <laughs> um, All right. We also have uh, the last type of landform I'll talk about before we'll end this podcast is we'll talk about coastal geomorphology. <laughs> but coastal geomorphology is everything related to the ocean near shore, because the ocean has an in for us and it will take everything <laughs> away. So that includes things like tides and beaches, okay. any shoreline changes, if you and have storms. like crazy storm effects. Uh, so like hurricanes we just had hurricane laura come through the states this but Mm -hmm. um you know things like that would be uh included in coastal geomorphology Mm -hmm. and it's it they offered a class at my school it can get real complicated and i am not qualified to be that complicated (laughs) we're gonna have we're gonna have more of a a chill version of if we do a coastal geomorphology Geomorphology. We'll Geomorphology. we'll we'll do a chill version that probably talks more about the horses on Assateague uh, <laughs> than we will talk about the about coastal... hurricanes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The coastal it's very interesting. Them. Yeah. It is interesting. It's just, it, it's a lot. You have to, <laughs> you have to know like moon charts, like you have to, because the moons affect its tides, <laughs> Yeah, right? of course. And also the distance the earth is from the moon affects the tides. So you, yes. there's apogee tides and, the, and perigee tides. Yeah. Anyway. So we talked about how the earth is
0: structured, mm-hmm. including plate tectonic theory. And then the things on the top of the earth, geomorphology is the study of the things on the top of the earth, right? Yes.
1: And the processes. Yeah. To me, that's the best way to put it, even if my textbook writes it differently.
0: I mean, it's kind of like on or near the surface yeah. of the earth. Um, it's not like
1: Minecraft floating above the surface, but on or near <laughs> the surface, yes.
0: It's, um, and that can include things like, yeah, it, the internal forces, so like gravity or the climate, climate changing things chemical or physical processes that change things how water or ice specifically change things and air and then also i guess maybe potentially if you believe if you believe in karst uh <laughs> specifical <laughs> specifically like how I lime believe. how do you believe in karst I believe
1: set me free limestone set me free
0: <laughs> and then and also gallstone. like the ocean specifically, <laughs> not related to other water it- stuff, but the ocean as its own kind of subset of- Entity, uh, yeah. Of, um, of geomorphology, geomorphological study.
1: hmm Yeah, specifically yeah. like near shore, because there's a different term like for the when we talk about ocean. deep ocean. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, there's like different terms. That's when you get into bathymetry. <laughs> bathymetry. Yeah, exactly, which is like studying the ocean floor. The ocean floor. Yes. So yeah, that was perfect summary. Um, Wait, so is
0: geo? It's geomorphology is on top and bathymetry is under the-, the ocean. Ge- you geom- said that.
1: Geomorphology is both. Um, oh, okay, that's if right. you have topological is when you have processes like on, on Earth or near shore, and then bathological is when it's like underneath under water. the ocean. Yeah. Okay. So we do actually. The thing is, it's kind of an interesting topic in that the topological bathymetrical line is kind of fuzzy when you get to near shore processes like beaches and stuff like that because sometimes it's underwater and sometimes it's not. So it gets studied in both realms, <laughs> but you have to really know your ocean to be able to understand, so a lot, to be able to understand coastal processes. So a lot of times it really kind of heads more towards the, you know, bathymetrical research, yeah. but you don't really have to use such, um, deeply penetrating radar, radar that you have to use to get, you know, deep ocean, um, mm-hmm. measurements that you do for like nearshore measurements. So that's why in a lot of ways it's a lot easier to, <laughs> even to if it's more complicated. Yeah. Interesting. Alright. So yeah, that was a good summary. Um, yeah. I know that we it didn't was. really go into depth about any of those geomorphic uh, features, but we will absolutely be talking we, we about them. We gave a little
0: taste. We gave some examples of like, <laughs> of like, you know, some in- notable geological features.
1: Yeah, we, we teased it a little bit. <laughs> we gave it a little tease. Yeah. Um, just to keep you guys keep you hungry for the next couple episodes. You got a snack, <laughs> but you got to wait for dinner, you know.
0: Speaking of which, what is our next
1: topic. Oh, well, Ellen, I've decided that our mm-hmm. next topic is going to be explosions <gasps> and eruptions. Ooh, and people cooking steaks. What well, what? It's going to be volcanoes, y'all. We're going to do <laughs> volcanoes. <laughs> people heating their bathwater.
0: <laughs> I'm going to do all of this us- in for
1: fun. <laughs>
0: I'm going to do <laughs> all of us a favor and not ask about these things
1: until next time. We, <laughs> <laughs> we speak. <laughs> But it's I'm looking be, forward to it. Uh, you know, fire. Um, I, there's a reason I'm not a volcanologist. And Is it because anytime couldn't see, throw sticks
0: in? Or no, it's, it's, because
1: anytime, it's because it's hot. Anytime <laughs> I see a a volcanologist doing any of their research, I'm always deeply concerned for that human being. And I'm really <laughs> like glad that I'm not on a fire. volcanologist. <laughs> yes, I'm just like, they are literally walking on fire right now. Can you please <laughs> walk away? I'm very concerned for your well-being. I feel well, like you got to have a couple of screws loose to be really interested in that kind of form of geology. Just, in a incredibly dangerous, really
0: love fire,
1: hot form of geology. Mainly <laughs> the dangerous, hot.
0: hot. That's why I like
1: the. That's why I like glacial stuff because it's like it's cold and cold. dangerous, cold dangerous. hot and dangerous. <laughs> Very good. You can layer up, you know, layer up for my danger.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Well, <laughs> if you have anything to say about this episode, you can. Uh, on that note, you can send us a direct message or tag us on Twitter at, st- at saidmydearpod. You can message or comment on our Instagram, saidmydearpod. Also, you can send us a message through our website, which is com,
1: or you can send us an email through sediment- to sedimentarypodcast at com. And again, we, we love to hear from you. Um, yes. If you have any specific questions about anything you heard today. If you want to tell us how to pronounce geomorphological. <laughs> if you want to tell us it's not a word, which it may not be. <laughs> um, if you want to, you know, if there's some specific you know, land feature that you've seen before and you're like, oh, I thought that was like a glacier thing and you want to learn more about it, we'd happily, you know, love to send you us know, look picks. into it. Yeah, send yeah. us, oh, absolutely. We would love to see pics of like if you went to Half Dome, I would love to see that. Oh, yeah. I've never actually be. been. That's like, that would be like a dream location for me if you've climbed half dome that would be crazy i think you know? only a couple people have done that <laughs>
0: be- no, but a couple do. very it's- famous people have done that yes. yeah exactly it's awesome yeah there's a you whole know. movie about that jane
1: it's <laughs> cool a- i didn't see the movie i don't know but yeah i just you free know. solo
0: free solo is about a guy climbing El cap yeah
1: but, but that's because he's he didn't he wasn't attached to anything that's why yeah, he's yeah, famous yeah 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 <laughs> you know no big deal so yeah people climb a bunch of people climb it every year but not <laughs> not solo not, not without not, not <laughs> <They're> climbing free. <laughs> not free they're not free they're chained <laughs> so yeah if Very you good. if you have any you know anything you'd like to send us we would appreciate it and mm-hmm. more than more importantly thank you for uh, listening to us talk thank for you. like an hour and a half i hope you learned me. a little bit more about the about the earth and the ocean and you learned how to say geomorphological Logical. which may or may not be a word <laughs> pretty sure it is or whatever. Pretty sure it is. I'm gonna, <laughs> don't quote me. Don't well, quote it. Well, if it's me. like I'm
0: geological, a... it should be geomorphological.
1: <laughs> Thanks, and
0: we'll see you next episode. Yep, we'll see you for volcanoes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. It's like, don't fall in a volcano in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> the main source for this episode is Process Geomorphology, 5th edition by Ritter, Cockle, and Miller. Music for It's Sedimentary, My Dear is provided by Solar Slays. You can find his music at youtube.com user slash S-E-A-S-E-A-F-U-L.